Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have you joining with us there online. Uh, some of you may be sick at home, others may be out of town uh, and you're watching, uh, but we wanna welcome everyone who's there on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, uh, subscribe, uh, click the notification bell. That way you'll get the notices on YouTube every time we go live there. On Facebook, if you just follow us, that's what you'll get there also. And anytime you do those things, it just helps to get the word out even more uh, to more and more people. On Twitter, just retweet, and that'll help also uh, there to get the word out there. And then also welcome to our phone live streaming people. Uh, thank you for joining with us also. We know we have a lot of seniors who join us on that, uh, who can't get out and drive when it's dark like it is right now till the time changes back. Uh, and so we want to welcome you also. If you need that number, uh, please see me or call here at the church office. We'll be glad to give you uh, that number. You can just call that number that's on your screen there uh, in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, so welcome to each one who's on that platform. Uh, if you're at home and you have internet access, if you would go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com, it's under the info tab that you can download the worship bulletin uh, as well as the children's worship bulletins. Uh, these go along with the Sunday morning message. Uh, this has a lot of updates of things that are happening in the weeks ahead, so I encourage you to get one of those. Uh, if you need those in person, they're in the windowsills as well as at the doors uh, when you leave this morning. But this evening, I said this morning, but this evening. <laughs> so, uh, and then also while you're under that info tab, be sure to download the prayer list there if you're at home. Uh, that way you can follow along with us in person here. If you need one of these in person, they're on the front pew here. Uh, we'll be glad to come around and give you one. If you see someone who comes in late, uh, be sure to give that, get that to them uh, as they come in. But you can download that there uh, on the prayer on the uh, website. So be sure to take advantage of that and do that. Also go to the far right hand side on the website. Uh, click the give online tab there. You can do your online giving. Uh, we're going to be starting our Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering for our North American missionaries uh, coming up, I believe, this Sunday. Is that right? And uh, having that emphasis, too, with our prayer uh, guides. So uh, already be thinking about and praying about that, what God would have you to give uh, towards our goal there. And I don't have that in front of me, Ms. Rima, but what is that, 7,000? 8,000. 8,000. So that's our goal, and you'll see that uh, in the in the, the Sunday's bulletin uh, with those announcements, and uh, we'll begin sharing with you some videos of our North American uh, missionaries. So you can do that giving online also already, so go ahead and, and do that if you uh, are so led, uh, and then you can also do that in person uh, by placing the offering envelopes in the offering plate here at the front. Uh, you can designate on it how much you're giving towards the regular offerings as well as to uh, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. So I think that's it. Brother Mike, if you'll come. Take your hymnals, number, hymn number 54, Great is Thy Faithfulness. All three verses. Ms. Pat. thy faithfulness oh God my father there is no shadow of turning with thee thou changes not thy compassions they fail not as thou hast been thou forever will be great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies i see I see all I have been. 
Hopefully at home, you've had an opportunity to get your prayer list uh, downloaded there. Uh, if you need to give us any prayer requests there, be sure to do that on Facebook. That's where we'll be looking at uh, for your requests and your updates that you may want to share or praise reports. I do have one that is coming from Facebook uh, tonight to share uh, with you an update on. Uh, but uh, as we are here in person, if you have any, just be sure to raise your hand and we'll come around to you uh, to get those. And then I'll repeat that. Uh, from here. Uh, let me just go over a few here from the Highland Baptist Church family uh, side. We do want to continue to remember uh, Conrad Ritchie with his eye surgery. He was here this past Sunday and seems to be doing well with that, so we'll probably remove him uh, from our prayer list for that, but we praise the Lord uh, for how he has answered uh, in prayer with that. Uh, Wanda Nichols, I've not heard any more of an update that she's just still uh, the same uh, with her situation, uh, not really uh, knowing uh, who individuals are. So just continue to uplift her and Todd uh, in your families. Miss Janet Carter's back at home and recovering, and from what I understand, doing well uh, there, as well as Wade Hall had his uh, surgery uh, last week, and everything went well with that, and he's doing good in recovering uh, with that. Um, also, let me just give you an update on the friends and family side. Uh, John Sr. and Frida Anderson, uh, this is Imogene Smith's uh, doctor's dad and mom. Uh, John uh, has uh, dementia uh, and is in uh, life care, so keep him in your prayers. Frida is at home with her son, John Anderson, uh, the doctor and his wife, uh, but she has uh, also got some uh, health problems there, so keep her in your prayers. I think they had to take her back to um, uh, Murfreesboro to a specialist doctor there. Miss Imogene told me yesterday, and so keep her in your prayers. My brother Kevin uh, still has his ongoing issues that he's having with uh, the mild emphysema as well as the arthritis that's all throughout his, his body uh, as well as some other issues there, so keep him in your prayers. And then let me share with you about Jeff, and I know I would butcher the last name, uh, Wogelmuth, I believe, or something like that. Uh, this is uh, uh, Roger and Kay's son-in-law. Uh, he had surgery for a blood clot today and the update, he was supposed to have been at 11 o'clock today, it got pushed back. Uh, they were still in pre-op at about 2-ish, 2.30-ish, uh, waiting to go back for surgery. Uh, but an hour ago, she updated and said that the doctor had called. Uh, they did a thrombectomy and an angioplasty, and he did good through it. And so she's just praising the Lord there. They're going to monitor him on critical care uh, unit overnight, do some imaging and contrast tomorrow. Uh, and then uh, hopefully things will progress where he can be able uh, to go home. But he had a major uh, blood clot, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, that's Jeff Wogelmuth, which is on the bottom of your friends and family side there. And then also uh, Samantha's uh, brother-in-law, Dennis McCullough, is going to be having uh, surgery uh, for his brain, so keep him uh, in your prayers as he gets ready uh, to do that. And then Steve Maybe, uh, he had his last, I believe, Yes, his last treatment, uh, and things were looking great with him, so just continue to keep him in your prayers. Uh, the other one that I need to update is on the HBC family side, and that's David Hess. Uh, he is doing his last chemo treatment, right? right, right. And then in 10 days, they'll do a follow-up with that, 
and, and uh, see whether how things are. Uh, if they have to do surgery, then they'll do that. And so just pray for him as he's going through all that because that can have a lot of ramifications uh, for him if that has to proceed to surgery. Uh, so keep him in your prayers. That's David Hess, Jim Hess's son. Ten weeks, sorry, not ten days. Ten weeks. Okay, so on your prayer list there, if you're at home uh, and didn't hear that, Candy Couch, uh, who's on the, the friends and family side there, uh, is doing well from her surgery. She's been moved from the hospital to rehab, uh, so do continue to keep her in your prayers for that, but that's just an update there on Candy Couch. Any others? Yes, you mentioned And uh, that is, uh, if you look about a little less than halfway up the list on the friends and family side. That's Don Allred. That is Donna's brother-in-law. Uh, he is, uh, his heart is starting to fail. He is on hospice there and has been uh, for a while, but his, his heart is starting to fail now. So uh, keep him in your prayers and keep that family in your prayers through this time too. Any others? Okay, and so we don't have that one on our prayer list, Cindy Ingram, so uh, remember her in your prayers. Uh, she had been in the hospital, been in ICU, uh, and has been moved out uh, from Vanderbilt there, from the ICU there. Uh, we know at least moved out of the ICU. We don't know if that means that she was moved home or she's been moved to rehab or what, but just keep her uh, in your prayers. Any others? Uh, David Wall, I don't have the latest, but when we mentioned last Wednesday, he was supposed to be potentially moved from rehab back to home uh, last Thursday. Uh, but I don't know if that actually happened uh, or not. Are there any other updates in person here? If you have any on Facebook there, please let us know that and we'll make sure we get those mentioned. And I don't see any there on Facebook. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray for our children, pray for our youth as they are meeting tonight uh, also. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you once again for your grace and your mercy and for just watching over us, Lord, and protecting us and keeping us safe in your arms, uh, for doing your wonderful work in our hearts and in our lives, uh, even when we don't always see it or understand why you're allowing things to happen the way they do. Lord, we just come humbly tonight to submit ourselves into your hands and ask for you to forgive us of our sins uh, to cleanse us, Lord, of all of our unrighteousness. If there's anything in our hearts, Lord, that maybe we have not confessed before you, I pray, Lord, that you'll bring it out into the light of your truth, uh, that we'll be, be able to see it, Lord, in contrast to your word, to know that that is a sin in our hearts that we need to confess before you. We don't want anything, Lord, to hinder our prayers with you. We want to have powerful prayer lives, and we know, God, that according to your word, we cannot have that if we are holding on to sin in our hearts. So we ask, Lord, that you would, as we confess our sins, uh, that you would cleanse us 
of all of our unrighteousness. You would help us, Lord, to walk faithfully with you each and every day, uh, to make right choices, to live right and holy lives before you. But Lord, when we sin, may we come to that place immediately of confession, even when we fail to do the things that you've commanded us to do. So Lord, we ask tonight that as we come on behalf of many who are on our prayer list, we just wanna say first and foremost, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the many prayers that you have answered. Thank you for those that we've been able to remove from the prayer list because of the healing that has come to their lives, because you have seen them through whatever situation it was uh, that they were going through. And we just give you the glory, we give you the honor because it, was, it is all about you, Lord, and what you have done in these individuals' lives. And we pray that it would be a powerful, powerful testimony and witness to the people around them, to us even, uh, sharing the good news of, of salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. Uh, ultimately, that's the greatest miracle that can happen to any of our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, for, be, with, be with us also and, and help us, Lord, to, to uh, be renewed in our strength with you each and every day. We pray for these individuals uh, who are struggling, who are going through difficult situations. Uh, Lord, may not you only heal them physically, uh, but restore them spiritually and emotionally. Uh, give them the strength they need daily uh, to be able to press forward spiritually, uh, knowing that you are with them, walking with them, some through the valley of the shadow of death, others through just a difficult season uh, that they're going through. And we just pray that through all of those things, Lord, may the name and the fame of Jesus Christ be magnified and honored in everything that happens in these individuals' lives. We uplift them to you, we place them in your hands, and we ask for you to meet every need that they have. Thank you for supplying your grace uh, that meets all of our needs, and we ask that you would shower each and every one of these individuals with your grace and with your mercy and with your loving kindness. Father, I pray that if, as, as we uplift these individuals, if there are other needs there, especially the spiritual needs of those who don't know Christ as their Lord and their Savior, I pray that through these situations, Lord, that they'll, they'll be, have no other place to turn but to turn to you and that you will use these things that they're going through, Lord, uh, to, to cause them to even think about where they're gonna spend eternity, uh, that they would make that decision now before it's too late. And so, Father, we just ask your blessings upon them in a powerful way. But we know that you are the great physician. You can heal any of these individuals. And we pray, Lord, that you would indeed touch them and heal them. And Lord, we pray that you'll be magnified and honored in their lives through those things that you do and bring about in their hearts and their lives. Lord, be with our children who are meeting tonight uh, in Awana as they study your word, as they're memorizing your scripture, as they've heard their Bible story uh, already. May all those things stick in their hearts uh, and in their minds, Lord, that when they're just going through daily life, may they share with their parents the good news of the gospel. May they live the truth of the gospel uh, in their lives, and, and may you change their hearts from the inside out as they trust in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And we pray that that's what you will bring about in their hearts as they learn more about Jesus, Lord. And may you guide them in each and every decision that they make each and every day, uh, that your word would be that lamp to their feet and light unto their path. Be with our youth, Lord. And we know all the struggles that our youth face and the culture we're in today and the difficulties they face. And so we just ask God a special blessing of a hedge of protection about their hearts and their minds. Guard their thoughts, guard their ears, guard their eyes, the things they watch, the things they listen to, the things they get involved in, uh, the friends and the peer pressure that is all around them. Father, I pray that you will help them to stand firm uh, in the midst of the darkness uh, that surrounds them in their culture and in our world uh, today. Father, they will be faithful witnesses of your grace and your mercy, faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ and all that he has done. And so we just ask your blessings as they are studying your word tonight and gather together uh, with our youth group. Be with all of those leaders in both of those programs. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll bless them uh, and give them wisdom and discernment as they lead in each one of those ministries. And we pray, God, that you would bless uh, those who are here tonight that are going to be studying your word uh, here in the book of Joel. We pray, God, that your word here in the Old Testament uh, would be made alive to us, that we would see the relevancy of it for our lives today. And Lord, I pray that it'll just be powerful, effective, changing our hearts, changing our lives, that we'll be more faithful witnesses, more urgently witnessing as we draw closer and closer to the last days. So bless your word tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 
Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Joel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the whole of chapter 2. I don't have all of the reference verses on the screen, so just a warning with that. You may want to get a pencil out, a pen out to jot down some notes uh, because there are some important passages you'll want to know about to go back and look at. Uh, you'll see them on the screen. You won't see them on the screen, but you'll see hear about them, as I mentioned, the references there for you to take those uh, notes and to jot those things down so you can go back and look at it uh, later and, and compare it to what Joel has to say here. So when you look at Joel chapter 2, we really need to look back to the earlier parts of the Old Testament. When you look back at the earlier parts of the Old Testament, uh, where God had promised David a kingdom, uh, that was a wonderful future kingdom, uh, and, and that wonderful future kingdom became the, the theme song, if you will, of all the prophets after David. Uh, this message is, is uh, great that the millennial kingdom is coming upon this earth. And we read uh, the prophets, when you, as you read them, it sounds like uh, they're on a stuck record. One after another looks forward to the day of the Lord. Now, Joel, as we talked about last time, is the first of the writing prophets. Now, what do we mean by that? The others were uh, before him were those who were preacher prophets. They were the ones who were proclaiming verbally the word of God that would come to them, to the people, and then write it down. Uh, but then we see here's Joel, and we don't read anything about him going to groups of people or going out in the countrysides or going to a certain city and preaching God's word. Uh, Hosea, on the other hand, that we studied prior to this, Hosea used his experience to proclaim the word of God and the judgments that were going to be coming uh, to the people. Uh, Joel writes it all down uh, so that they would read it uh, in, in, in this letter, if you will, or in this word uh, that Joel writes to them. And so Joel is the first of the writing prophets. He is the first to write the phrase, the day of the Lord. And he makes it clear that the day of the Lord, which includes the millennial kingdom, is not going to be all peaches and cream. Uh, before the millennial kingdom, when the Lord Jesus is going to be ruling on this earth, there's going to be a time uh, when Je which Jesus defined, as we talked about last week, the, as the great tribulation period. So the first thing I want you to learn uh, on this road to repentance and restoration is that we have to come to a place of becoming aware of the danger of our sin, which leads us to our first point that Joel is telling us. Now, we're probably not going to get through all of this chapter tonight. Uh, I've already looked at that, and so we're probably going to be a two-parter on this. So just be aware of that, and we'll get through as much of it as we can tonight. The first thing I want you to see is that Joel tells us to sound the alarm, sound the alarm. And that's what we see in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Now we're going to see he has some double meaning, if you will, in what he refers to as the day of the Lord, because there's some things he prophesies about that did not come to pass in Joel's day, did not come to pass in the New Testament days, and is yet still to come to pass in the future. So uh, when we go back to last week, uh, you remember we talked about the locust invasion that was coming, the judgment there. And let's kind of review that a little bit. You know, today in America, you know, locust invasions are, are, are quite remote. And it's hard for us to imagine all the desolation and the desperation that would have accompanied uh, a locust plague. But there have been similar invasions in relatively modern times from which we can uh, make an assessment. Uh, one of the worst uh, locust plagues that's happened in probably the last century and a half or so uh, was back in 1915. Uh, there was a plague of locusts that covered Palestine and Syria from the border of Egypt in the south to the Tarsus Mountains. Uh, the first swarms appeared in March. These were adult locusts. They came from the northeast. They moved towards the southwest in clouds so thick that the people in those days said it, it clouded out the sun. Uh, we, we find out in, in history there that, that the females were about two and a half to three inches long. 
Uh, and they immediately began to lay eggs, digging holes in the soil that were about four inches deep, depositing about a hundred eggs in each one of those holes. The eggs were neatly arranged in these tubes, uh, cylindrical uh, shaped uh, masses of about one inch long, uh, about as thick as a pencil. Uh, so not very big at all, but about a hundred eggs could go in that one hole. And these holes were everywhere. Witnesses back in that day estimated that as many as 65 to 75,000 eggs were concentrated in a single meter of soil. And patches like that covered the entire land from the north part of, the, uh, of Israel down to the south part uh, of Palestine uh, back in those days. And having laid their eggs, the locusts flew away. Within a few weeks, those young locusts began to hatch. They resembled uh, a large ant. They didn't have any wings. Uh, and within a few days, they began moving uh, forward by hopping around on the ground like fleas. Uh, they would cover uh, four to 600 feet a day. They would devour any vegetation uh, before them. So this happened in May when the eggs were laid. By the end, or March, by the end of May, they had molted, those that had been hatched had molted. And in that stage, they began to have wings, but they didn't fly. Instead, they moved forward by walking and jumping only when they were frightened. They were bright yellow. And so finally, the locusts molted again. And this time, they became fully developed adults that had invaded the land, that had invaded the land initially, just like their, their parents that had uh, laid the eggs before. According to a description, of this plague, John D. Whiting in the December 1915 issue of National Geographic magazine, the earlier stages of these insects attacked the vineyards. Here's what he said. Once entering a vineyard, the sprawling vines would in the shortest time be nothing but bare bark. When the daintier morsels were gone, the bark was eaten off by the young topmost branches which after exposure to sun were bleached snow white. Then seemingly out of malice, these locusts would gnaw off the small limbs, perhaps to get at the pith within. Whiting described how the locusts of the last stage completed the destruction began by the earlier forms. They attacked the olive trees. Uh, who, who had, that had tough, bitter leaves uh, that had been passed over by the creeping locusts. They stripped every leaf, every berry, uh, even the tender bark off of them. They ate away layer after layer of cactus plants, leaving le the leaves uh, the effect of having uh, been jackplaned, is the way they said. Even on the scarce uh, and, and prized palm trees, they didn't have any pity. They gnawed off the tender ends uh, of the sword-like branches and, and diving deep into the Heart, they tunneled after the juicy pith of the, of the palm tree. That's precisely what you read about when Joel and his contemporaries, uh, what they experienced in their day. And the various stages of the molting insects probably explain uh, the differences in, in the, the different terms here uh, that are used. In fact, we see as you go on into the, the description in verse 2, it says, A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness like blackness, there is spread upon the mountain a great and powerful people uh, there like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years uh, of all generations. Fire devours before them in verse 3, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. So you go back and you read in chapter 1 and you'll read all that description where you have the palmer worm in the King James Version, it uses the word palmer worm, locust, canker worm, and caterpillar for the different stages. Uh, the NIV Version uses uh, the terms uh, locust swarm, great locusts, young locusts, and other locusts because it, there's just a lack of the English language uh, to describe what is going on here. Probably these are the stages of these insects, and if so, Joel certainly captures the nature of the utter destruction by reporting no doubt with perfect accuracy. Now, Whiting, who wrote that article in the National Geographic, quotes this and other opening verses of Joel's prophecy in his article, and he writes, we marvel how this ancient 
writer could have given so graphic and true a description of a devastation caused by locusts in so condensed a form. So all of this is pointing to the coming judgment. And then you read what we just read there in verse 2 about the darkness and the gloom, the day of clouds and thick darkness, uh, like blackness there is spread upon the mountain a great and powerful people. So let me remind you here that Joel is the first of the writing prophets. He looks down through the centuries and he sees the day of the Lord. It begins with darkness, that is with judgment, judgment that he's already talked about in chapter 1. And then Jesus comes to this earth and establishes his kingdom. Now, again, when you read there in verse 1, he says uh, to, to sound the trumpet uh, in Zion. We talked about that a little bit last week, and we talked about that also when we looked at the book of Hosea, that the word Zion there is a reference to uh, Jerusalem. He says, Zion and my holy mountain. Uh, the holy mountain being the mount there uh, in Jerusalem. And so he says, uh, they should blow the trumpet. They should sound the alarm. It's important for us to understand the significance of the trumpet. Now, some of this may sound familiar to you because when we went through the book of Hosea, he used this same terminology about the trumpet blowing. So what's the significance of the trumpet? In Hosea chapter 8, you can read about it there. In the book of Numbers, though, all the way back in the beginning there, when they were given, uh, when the, we learned that the children of Israel uh, had started through the wilderness, God commanded them to make two silver trumpets. And we talked briefly about that in Hosea's book. Uh, he gave them some instructions. Let me read to you in, November, in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 1 and verse 2 that says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Make two silver trumpets of hammered work, you shall make them. And you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. Because remember, it was a tabernacle then. It was a tent that they moved from place to place. So when Israel was in the wilderness, they used these trumpets to, to move them into wilderness march. Uh, the first blowing of the trumpet was a signal everybody needs to get ready uh, for, to, to march. Uh, when the pillar of cloud uh, would, would lift uh, and move out, they would take down the tabernacle. Uh, then immediately the trumpet would sound again, and Moses and Aaron would move up front ahead of the tribe of Judah, and the ark would go out ahead with them. And you'll remember that Israel was encamped around the whole tabernacle on all four sides, three tribes uh, on each side. Now, every section, so three tribes, remember there were 12 tribes, so three on each one of the four sides. Every section would move out in turn, signaled by this blowing of the trumpets. So actually to get the whole camp on the march, the trumpets were blown seven different times. Think about that. The trumpets were blown how many times? Where do we hear about that in the book of Revelation? So all this ties in to the future uh, prophecies here. So in the final book of the Bible in Revelation, we find the blowing of the trumpets again. Uh, you find out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 and verse 17, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so will we always be with the Lord that's the rapture that we talk about the that voice uh, of God is like a trumpet but then there's these seven trumpet sounds in in the book of Revelation uh, the seven trumpets are identified with the nation of Israel uh, just as there were the seven trumpet calls in the wilderness march when you look at numbers you see that uh, when you look at the book of Numbers, uh, you'll see that the different trumpet calls meant definite things. Uh, they were always giving instructions to Israel. So when you read in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 3 down through verse 7, it says, And when both are blown, when both of the trumpets are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the ten of meetings. But if they blow one... Then the chiefs and the heads, the tribe of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. When you blow another alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown when they are set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. 
And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you for a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And so then he goes on to give in, in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 9 some instructions for the time that they'll be in the promised land. He says, when you go out to war uh, in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, you shall sound the alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Well, during the time of war, the trumpet call would mean that men of war were to come to defend their country when an enemy was company, coming. And so now here in Joel's prophecy, he says in verse 1, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. So why? Why is he to blow a trumpet? Why are they to sound an alarm? Well, you see that in the next part of verse 1 where he says, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Why? For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. And so you see that the Lord has called his church out of the world. He'll turn again to the nation of Israel in the last days. And this is the beginning of the day of the Lord. And in this second chapter, Joel is going to give a blending, if you will, of the plague of the locusts that is going to come upon them in Joel's day, along with the threat of the Assyrian army, that is fixing to come also, this physical army from Assyria. And then he's also going to be looking down through time and eternity through the future to the day of the Lord. When you read the prophets, that's the way they're always looking. If you ever go uh, into the mountains, you go up into the Smokies, or you go up to any of those places where you can see the overlooks, and you pull off on one of those overlooks where you can see the mountains in the distance, you can see those mountains that are close to you, and you can see features upon those, but then you begin to see there's another set of mountains beyond that first set, and there's another set beyond that next set, and there's another set beyond that. So it's kind of that imagery when the prophets are speaking. They're speaking about something that's going to be happening in their day, but they're also seeing some things that are going to happen out there in the future. Some things in the near future, some things way out in the future. And you'll see that always uh, in the prophets. And so uh, he's, he's blending this vision here of this plague of locusts together with the threat of the Assyrian army and then also looking down the road to the future, to the day of the Lord. And so he moves right out of the locust plague to the day of the Lord, which is way out yonder in the future. Uh, you'll recall that was the practice of the prophets to speak about a local situation, then to move to the future, uh, which includes the tribulation, includes the millennium. Uh, that local situation was this plague of locusts. And in the near future, the Assyrian army was coming down. In fact, you can read that in verse 20. Verse 20 says, I will remove the northerner far from you. Uh, some versions actually put the word army in there and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard, into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things. And so that's talking about the Assyrian army that's going to be coming down. Now, when you read these things that we're going to read here, it, it would be kind of foolish of us to think that it's only talking here uh, about locusts, uh, about a bug, uh, when he mentions the northern army. Uh, the plague of locusts is, a, is something physical that's going to happen with this plague of locusts in his day. But he's also saying it's a picture of what the Assyrian army is going to come and to do down out of the north. Uh, and so the Assyrian army becomes the picture of the enemy that's coming out of the north in the last days. When you read in Ezekiel 38 and 39, chapter 38 and 39, the northern army refers to present day, uh, the present day area of Russia. Uh, which will invade Israel. In fact, Russia's coming uh, will usher in the last half of the Great Tribulation period. Whether that's Russia or not, it's those northern areas where Russia currently is uh, today. And so just remember that the day of the Lord is not some 24-hour period that's going to happen. It's a period of time. The Apostle Paul used it in that sense when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of 
of salvation. So when he says the day of the Lord, he's not talking about a 24-hour day of the Lord. When he talks about the day of salvation, Paul does, he's not using the word day there in the form of a 24-hour day. He's using that as a, a, a speaking of a period of time, a period of grace. So understanding the day of the Lord is different from the Lord's day. The Lord's day is the first day of the week. Uh, those two words are the same, but the arrangement makes all the difference. First to say the Lord's day or the day of the Lord. That makes a huge difference in what we're saying there. So Joel is going to put down God's definition that, uh, that will condition and limit the prophets who are going to speak in the future. After, after this, all of them are going to speak into this period called the day of the Lord. And it's interesting to find that none of these prophets, whether you're reading Hosea, you're reading Joel, you're reading Habakkuk, you're reading Zephaniah, Zechariah, you're reading Malachi, you're reading any of those Old Testament prophets, not a single one of them contradict each other. Even though some of the prophets didn't even know what the others were prophesying. And so verse 2 goes on to say that day of darkness of gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread out upon the mountain, a great powerful people, there like has never been before. Now remember back in chapter 1, he's talking about the locusts, the bugs that were going to come and devour the land that like it's never been before. Now he's saying in chapter 2, there's also going to be out here in the near future this army that's going to come, a people, this great powerful people, like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. So what we see here is this is the same period about the, that what Jesus is talking about when he says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21, he says, for then there will be great tribulation. And how does he describe that? Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So the great tribulation opens on the day of the Lord, because that's why the way the, the Hebrew day opens. It begins in the evening at the time of darkness. Uh, and you could just begin to imagine when that plague of locusts came over the land uh, in, in Joel's day right then, uh, th that it would actually darken the sky because there would be so many of them. So the day of the Lord is going to begin with darkness. When this army of the Assyrians comes in, it's going to be like a day of darkness. In the last days, when the great tribulation comes, it's going to be like great darkness. It's going to be like has never been before. So then you go to verse 3. It says, fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes from them. So before the plague of the locusts came, the earth looked like the Garden of Eden. Everything was green. Everything was rich, luxurious foliage. The land was beautiful. After these locusts left, there wasn't a bit of green to be seen. It, it looked as if fire had swept over the land. And he's saying that is also the picture of what it's going to look like when the Assyrians come. And that's also the picture of what it's going to look like in the, in the last days uh, when the Messiah comes to set up his earthly kingdom. So the day of the Lord is going to be the same in that it'll be a time of destruction. You read in Revelation when the four horsemen of the apocalypse arrive through this world, there's going to be war, there's going to be famine, there's going to be death. And in one fell swoop, the Bible tells us that one-fourth of the population is going to be wiped out. Another place in the book of Revelation, it tells us a third of the population is going to be destroyed. Notice verse 4. Their appearance, so in other words, he's saying here, it's not actually that a locust looks like a horse. He's saying it's, it's metaphorically here that he's speaking. He says their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, they run. So the head of the horse, he says, resembles a horse head. The Italian word for locust means little horse. The German word for locust means hay horse. So as the horse eats hay, the locust is going to eat up everything green. And so Joel is describing again that locust plague, and we see him mixing the two images here, the locust plague, and he's beginning also to make application to the day of the Lord. Because look at on down to verse 5 through verse 7. 
He says, as with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their pass. In the book of Proverbs, I read this verse to you last week. In the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 30, verse 27, it says, The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. They don't need a king. They don't need a leader. Each one of them knows their place. They come in bands. So when Joel is describing these four different groups of locusts, he's describing the movement of a great army, an army of locusts. But he's also describing the army of Assyria that's coming. And, these, and then in the last days, uh, there's going to be coming uh, against that land another enemy, and it's going to come like a locust plague. And, and so this is the preparation for the book of Revelation that John writes about what? A locust plague uh, that's going to take place on this earth during the first woe, which follows the blowing of the fifth trumpet. And so here's what he says. Here's what John says in Revelation 9, verse 1 through verse 4, if you're taking notes. Revelation 9, verse 1 through verse 4. So the fifth angel, and we've already studied our study through the book of Revelation. You can go back and search us on YouTube, Facebook, any of those, and, and see those there. And go back to this one on Revelation 9 and the trumpets. Well, the fifth angel blows his trumpet, and he says, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now think about that for a second. That's unusual because locusts don't eat flesh. They're, they're, they're herbivores. They eat grass. They eat uh, green leafy things. They eat fruit. They eat things that have sap in them. They don't eat people. Uh, that's all the normal locusts would, would normally attack. They don't attack human beings, but these locusts attack only those who don't have the seal of God on their foreheads. And, and so it's going to be such a terrifying time that the Bible even says that people are going to be seeking death and they're not going to be able to even find it. In other words, they won't be able to even commit suicide. As much as they would try to kill themselves, they couldn't kill themselves. Revelation 9, verse 5 and verse 6 goes on to say that. They were allowed to torment them, these locusts were, for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the tor torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die but death will flee from them. That's Revelation 9, 5, and 6. Uh, and so notice th that description uh, of the locusts if you go on in Revelation 9. Same description that we read about in Joel's uh, prophecy here. Uh, verse 7 says in Revelation 9, In appearance the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a king, so these have a king, where the proverb says that the, the physical locusts don't, so this is talking about an army here that has a king over them, and the, the the angel of the bottomless pit, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, in the Greek is called Apollyon. Uh, we won't go into all what Revelation says there, but go back and listen to that message on Revelation 9 there. So think about it. It's an unusual type of locust. This plague is going to take place during the Great Tribulation. And so all the way back here in the Old Testament is Joel, who is speaking about a locust plague that's going to happen in his day. The Assyrians that are coming like locusts 
in the near future for him and his nation. And then way off out there in the future, in the last days, there's going to be another army that's going to come, like a plague of locusts, uh, that is going to be unlike anything that has ever been seen before or since during the Great Tribulation. And so he is the, one of the writing prophet here, preparing the ground for John the Apostle uh, to write his uh, revelation there and to give that detailed description of the locusts as they'll appear in the day of the Lord. A lot of people want to start their study in the book of Revelation. I'd encourage you don't do that. Uh, that's not the place to begin as a new believer. In fact, Matthew is one of the key books to the Bible. Uh, if you, you, until you understand Matthew, uh, you won't quite get the message of the book uh, of Revelation. And, and this little prophet Joel uh, who has been by and by, by and large, ignored. We tend to ignore these little prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, he sheds a great deal of light uh, on what he calls the day of the Lord. So in verse 7, notice what Joel goes on to say. Again, he says, like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his, war, uh, on his way. They do not swerve from their past. And so he's beginning to move from the local locust plague into the future, which is called the day of the Lord. Verse 8, they do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls, they climb up into the houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. Now obviously, this is more than just a local plague of, of, of insects or else Joel is exaggerating here. Now the prophets spoke God's word as he gave it to them and they didn't exaggerate. This is the same picture John gives us in the book of Revelation. And then verse 11 goes on to say, the Lord utters his voice before his army for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome who can endure it. This is the third time Joel mentions the day of the Lord. And he asks that question, who can endure it? It's very much the same thing that Jesus says in his day in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 22. And he says, and if those days had not been cut short, speaking about the great tribulation, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Joel asks, who can endure it? Well, John gives the answer in the book of Revelation in chapter 7. He says that God will shut down the forces of nature, withholding the winds from blowing, which are the judgments of God upon the earth, until two great groups are redeemed and are sealed and made secure. If God's people are going to make it through that terrible time of tribulation, they have to be sealed. So when Joel asks, who can endure it? What's the it he's talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord, which begins in darkness, the night of the great tribulation. And so that's the first thing that we need to hear is the alarm that needs to be sounded. And then we get into God's plea to repent. Now, we're not going to get too far into this, but I just want to begin here with verse 12 because the question is, what can a sinner do in a period like this? Well, Joel goes uh, on to give the answer for that when you look at verse 12. So verse 11, he had said, who can endure it? Now, verse 12, he says, yet even now declares the Lord... So he's already talked about in chapter 1, the judgment. He's talked about the day of the Lord that's coming off out there in the future. And, and you read it and you think, oh my word, who is going to be able to survive any of this that's coming? Well, here's the message of hope. Always in the Old Testament, when you have the prophet speaking a word of judgment, there's always a word of hope. Here's the word of hope. God's plea, repent. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, 
for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. B verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? So Joel gives the answer. And what's the answer? The answer is to turn, is to repent. God says, turn. God says to his people, Whose, whose hearts are turned from him, repent. Repent means uh, to, to primarily to change the direction you've been heading, having a change of heart, a change of mind. It's true that, that there are some who, who, who come and uh, in, 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 they walk down an aisle, Maybe they're emotional and they, and they weep tears, but that is not enough. He says here uh, that, that in, there may be some shedding of tears along with repentance, but that is only a byproduct of repentance. Repentance means having a change of heart. He says, return to me with all your heart. And he says that he, he means to repent there. And he says that the byproduct of it is there will be fasting, there will be weeping, and there will be mourning. All too often, we think if we just come down an aisle, we shed some tears that we're converted. But verse 13 says, rend your hearts and not your garments. You see, this was the way uh, to be, a, this was to be a heart experience, not some outward gesture. In fact, actually, the Mosaic law forbid the priest from tearing his garments. Repentance wasn't to be shown as fanatic. The, the, the tear was to be in the heart and return to the Lord your God. That's what he's calling us in our generation to do is to return to the Lord. What does that mean and what comes as a part of that repentance? As he says there, uh, with it, comes uh, comes fasting, uh, with it uh, comes weeping, with it comes mourning, returning your heart to the Lord. Oh, that we would have such a returning to the Lord in our generation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just these few verses we have gotten through in chapter 2 and yet so much more for us to learn about in the repentance aspect of this passage, the hope that is there even in the midst of judgment. Lord, you have told us in your word in the New Testament that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us here that is good. And that that sin, the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of life, is the gift of eternal life is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I pray tonight that we have begun at least to see a glimpse of the steps that need to be taken even in our generation as we are growing closer and closer to the return of the Lord, to that great and terrible day of the day of the Lord that ushers in the great tribulation. Father, I pray that we will repent in our hearts. Lord, we are seeing that happening across our nation in college, on college campuses. We're seeing that happen in other nations, even around the world, places in Africa, places in, in Asia. Father, I pray that you will begin to stir our hearts across America to this place of repentance. Lord, that there will be a fresh revival in, our, in the church and in our hearts and lives, Lord, that in whatever time we have left on this earth, we will be faithful witnesses 
of the gospel message. So Lord, bless your word tonight. Bless it in our lives. May we keep it. May we be faithful to share it. May we be faithful to live it in our hearts and in our lives. And Father, if there are those who are watching or who are present here tonight who don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, may they just simply call out to you and say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on that cross for my sins, that he was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And Father, I pray that if someone's prayed something like that, Lord, may they come. May they just simply come and, and, and share that if they're there online uh, in the comments so we can be able to follow up with them, that they'll come and talk to me after the service if they're here in person. But Father, I pray that each one of us as believers would be faithful to return to you and that we would repent of our unfaithfulness. Lord, bless us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you can see, we knew we weren't going to get through it all in, Revel in here in Joel chapter 2. There's so much that ties into so many other prophecies there. Uh, we're going to pick up there uh, with verse 12 again next week and go right on through uh, to the end. So we encourage you to come back and join us next Wednesday night uh, for that. Uh, but we'll be meeting again this Sunday morning, uh, 9.15 for Sunday school, if you can come join us in person. Uh, and then we'll be having worship in person as well as online at 10.30. So if you have to be at home or you're way out of town, join us there online on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, any of those, as well as our phone live streaming. But you have a safe week, a blessed week, and we'll see you this coming Sunday.